the CWCCS podcast, we take a break from our Colossians series to hear from the book of First Peter. God uses trials and storms in our lives to teach us something about himself, ourselves, and his will in our lives. Today, here's Nathan Pittman with the message, Prepared for the Storm. The title of our study today is called Prepared for the Storm. Now, I don't need to tell every one of you, whether you're in-house or online, I don't need to tell you that, you know, life is about, you know, full of storms. (laughs) Life is full of storms, surprises even in the midst of those storms. And your storm could be something tragic like an illness. It could be an argument that you've had with someone you care about. It could be a big decision that you have to make soon. Or it even could be the death of a loved one. But one thing that we can all be sure of is that each of us will frequently face storms, or in other words, trials, in this life. As the old saying goes, you're either going into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or just coming out of one. That's what life is. Life is not void of storms. Life is not void of hard times. We are frequently going through them. And even though we cannot predict what storms will face or when they'll come, we can be confident that we are not going through them alone. I love Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid of them. And this is our focus today. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. No matter the storms of life, No matter what you're facing, God is the one who goes with you. And that verse concludes by saying, he will not leave you nor forsake you in the storm. He does not leave you in the rain, contemplating things on your own. He goes through it with you. This is such a sweet assurance that we have in Jesus. That he's committed to going through the storms of life that we face not, not, not abandoning us, but going through them with us. Such a sweet assurance. But I don't know about you, but I know I ask the Lord this all the time. Because sometimes I think to God, I'm like, God, I don't want you to walk with me through a storm. I want you just to take it away. <laughs> just wave your hand and be like, be still and I'll be good, Lord. That's all you need to do. Just take the storm away. That'd be great. Take it away. But you know what? The truth is that sometimes God does not remove the storm. In fact, sometimes God allows the storm because he's trying to show us something. God actually sometimes has purpose in the storms that we face. Sometimes he allows these storms so that he would show us or that he would reveal what is really in our hearts. You know, you know we reveal what we really trust in when the boat gets rocked. When we go through the storms and the winds and the waves start to come and hit us and and smack us around a little bit, then it's revealed what we really trust in. Sometimes God allows that to happen. So we would recognize, man, God, I don't really trust you like I say I trust you. Or or, or this this one is, is great because sometimes God shows you that you aren't as strong as you think you are. And God will show you and go, hey, this is why you need me. This is why I'm here in your life. So sometimes God has a purpose in the storm. But I'm going to be honest with you because sometimes when we hear words like that, we think to ourselves that every time we go through a storm that somehow God is trying to teach us a lesson through it. Now, 
God uses storms to speak to us, but sometimes we go through storms because life is full of storms. We live in a fallen and a broken world. So trying to find a reason for every frustration in your life, like what is God trying to teach me through this? Sometimes it's just, hey, you just need to hold on to the Lord. Because we live in a fallen, broken world. But the only way to respond well to a storm is to be prepared for it. So even if God's trying to teach you something, or maybe it's, it's the, the lesson of what God might, might be trying to teach you isn't as evident, the important thing is that we respond well to the storm by being prepared for it. This doesn't mean that we can anticipate when life will get hard or when the storms will come, but we can know how to prepare for it. Just like the storm we just experienced yesterday. You can see it coming, you can prepare for it, you can put a jacket on, you can get new tires on your car, you can drive slow, you can, you can prepare all these things. But we still have to go through the storm. I believe this message is important because preparing for the storms of life actually help us find peace in the midst of them. So to t- today I want to talk about three things that we can do to be prepared for the next storm you're going to face or to get you through the one you're in right now. And those three things are controlling our mental process, knowing where to put our emotions, and remembering his promises. These are our main points. But before we get into the scripture, I want to give you some context as far as where we're at. And the context is is in the midst of a storm that the believers in the Roman Empire are experiencing. In fact, the book of 1 Peter was written around 64 to 65 A.D., And history tells us around the same time, Rome experienced, the city of Rome experienced a horrific fire. And in this fire, there were a lot of people that were killed, and there were a lot of buildings that were destroyed. And history tells us that the Roman emperor Nero was looking for someone to blame for the fire. And what he did is that he blamed the Christians. And as a result, a great storm of persecution arose against the Christians, and they were put in jail, some were killed, but for the most part, they were scattered in the Roman Empire and all over the world from this point. These are the people that, Paul, that Peter is writing this letter to. He's writing to these believers who are in the storm of this persecution. But when he writes this letter, he writes this amazing letter because he encourages them with spiritual wisdom, but he also encourages them with very practical wisdom on how they can overcome the storms they're facing on a daily basis. So let's read. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This brings us to our first point, which is controlling our mental process. Now, I want you to point your attention to the beginning of verse 13 because it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. Because Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, this isn't typically language that you and I would use today. If you looked at somebody in their face and you were like, hey, man, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> You'd be like, what did you say? What? Gird, what? You, you, we don't talk like that. We don't say, gird up the loins of your mind. Like, you'd be like, that's weird. Well, the reason why Peter is saying this is because the fashion back then was a little different. They didn't wear pants and shirts, different things like that. But they wore these, these flowing robes. 
And if you were going to do something that was active or required you to move a lot, you didn't want this flowing robe to get in your way. So what people would do back in that time is that they would tie a rope around their waist and then they would take the flowing part of their robe and they would tuck it into this rope, kind of like turning a robe into shorts, if you will. And when they did that, that's what it meant to gird themselves. And this way they could move, they could be agile, they could do whatever was active or do whatever they needed to do. And so Peter is communicating to them, he's essentially telling his readers to prepare their minds for action, gird their minds for action. Because when you gird yourself, like Peter's talking about here, you're essentially removing anything that hinders you from being active. Anything that hinders you from moving, he's saying remove it so you can be prepared for the storm that's coming your way. For example, it's kind of like if you were to go home tonight, go to sleep, and God were to come to you in a dream and tell you that next week, next Monday, you're going to enter into the worst season of your life. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be the worst season of your life. If God came to you and told you that tonight, what would you do? You would obviously be in preparation. If you knew next Monday was when the worst season of your life is going to get here, guess what you're going to do? I'm going to be reading scripture like crazy. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be calling brothers and sisters in Christ and be like, y'all, you need to be praying for me. I don't know what's about to happen, but I need some support. Help me out. That's what you're probably going to do. But you know what you're also going to do? You're also going to remove things that distract you from being prepared for that next season. So you may not watch that show in its its entirety. (laughs) You may not do things that would hinder your preparation for what is about to happen. This is essentially what Peter is saying to his readers. He's communicating an urgency that right now is not the time to play around, but be serious in preparing their minds for the storm that is about to come. And if we're honest, I know if I'm honest, when I think about the storms in my own life or a difficult time, this isn't always my response. Sometimes when we go through difficult times, instead of preparing our minds for victory, we look for a way to escape. We look for a way to avoid the storm that's coming, that's brewing. This reminds me of the first time I did the incline in Colorado. (laughs) If you haven't done it, just save yourself. Just don't, don't worry about it. Just, there's other things to do. You know what I'm saying? It's just... If you don't know what the incline is, it's basically a mountain of stairs that goes up, 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 up to a false peak and then up, up some more. That is the incline. <laughs> and I remember standing at the bottom of the, of the incline the first time I was about to do it. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'd rather eat a sandwich. I'd rather just, what else could we do today? Like, I'd rather, let's just avoid this whole situation in its entirety. And you know what? Many times we approach the problems or storms in our lives this way. Instead of preparing our minds to get through it, we'd rather not even try. And, and I want to clarify, it's not because we don't think that we can't overcome it. It's not because we're convinced that we're just going to be defeated. It's not because we think that we're, we're, we're too weak to handle it. A lot of times we don't want to face the storms in our lives Because we know how much effort it takes, and we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. (laughs) Now, you might be thinking, well, that's just laziness. 
You just need to do what Peter said. Roll up your sleeves, get ready. But have you ever been in a place where you face storm after storm after storm after storm after storm after storm and see another one coming? You don't exactly want to get up to face another one. And if we're honest, this is a lot of times where we look for a quick escape into sin. Or we shut down completely, emotionally, physically, because we don't want to go through another storm. So how do we prepare our minds to walk through another storm? First, it's by taking control of our mental process. For any believer that has ever gone through a storm in their life, they know that the hardest part of going through the storm is what happens up here. This is the hardest part. This is where the battlefield is, is what happens in your mind. That's why Peter says this. He says, gird up your mind. Or in other words, he's saying this. He's saying, don't let any thought just swim around in your brain and influence your actions and emotions. But how do we take control of our mental process? The answer is actually found in the previous 12 verses of chapter 1. Peter goes through and he talks about how God has chosen to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. That he has a heavenly inheritance waiting for us. And that God is not only protecting, but refining our faith even in the midst of the storms that we're going through. So what Peter is basically saying, that even in the midst of a storm, we are capable of controlling our mental process and turning it from negative to a positive, not based on our own ability, but based on who God is and what he's doing and has done in our lives. That's how you turn negative thinking into positive thinking. It's not by bolstering yourself and thinking, oh, I just got to be more positive. No, it's by focusing on Christ alone. This is how even in the midst of a storm, I can say, man, I've got peace that surpasses all understanding. Because you're focused not on the situation, but on him. This is what he's saying. You might even know a believer who's just joyful as can be. And you think, well, I guess, I guess religion just makes somebody that way. No. It's by knowing who your God is, man. And knowing how big he is compared to your problems. That's what this is. That's how you have joy in the midst of a storm. But this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, focus on God. Focus on Christ. Now, how do we, how do we take control even further of our mental process? It's by setting up boundaries in our minds based on scripture. Colossians chapter two, chapter three, verse two says this. It says, set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. What this is talking about is that it's saying that if what enters your mind, the thoughts that enter your mind, a lot of times you can't control the thoughts that enter in your mind, but you you, you can't control what enters, but you can control what stays. (laughs) So it's saying if what enters your mind is not life-giving or something that draws you to the Lord, don't meditate on it. What do we do as human beings when we experience a negative thought? We churn it like butter. We just be thinking about it all day, every day. This angle, that angle, up there, down there. Oh, they said this, but now I'm going to think about it like this. We do that. We do that. And we're not supposed to do that. So how do we deal with thoughts that enter in, that are negative, that aren't life-giving, that don't draw us to the Lord? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. It basically says, bring every thought 
into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When a negative thought enters into your mind, you don't allow it to swim around in your brain and take up space. You arrest it by using the word of God. You arrest it. This is why this is so important. Because God is the only one who knows how our minds function. He's the only one who created them. So if he's the one that created them, he knows how we can deal with them. This is why it's so foolish to think that we can take the concepts of the world and control our mental process. Absolutely not. The world didn't create your mind. God did. So when he gives you scripture, he's saying, this is how you control the process of your mind. This is the only thing greater than what enters your mind. It's greater than what the world can offer. It comes from the one who created it. Scripture is the only thing that has authority over the process of your mind. That's it. Anything else that you try to control the mental process of your mind by any worldly means is going to fail. It is only when we take the manual from the the God who made our mind and apply his manual to our mind that we have control of our mental process. So what do we need to be in control of? If a thought enters your mind that is contrary to God's word or the goodness of God or your value or your identity or the value of people around you, those are the thoughts that you don't let run free in your mind. Those are the thoughts you take captive with the word of God and say, I'm not focusing on that. It's anything that is contrary to what God's word says. I mean, man, there have been times in my life Where I've devalued myself because I let a negative thought run free in my brain. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, man, how do I get this thought out of here, man? It was only when I took God's word and arrested that thought and said, you know, that's not what God's word says about me. That's the only way you deal with us like that. I know it's mental awareness month or something like that. The only way you deal with your mental illness, the only way you deal with those thoughts in your mind that are crazy is by taking hold of them by the word of God and saying, that's not who God has called me to be. That's it. To get through the storms of life, we need to take control of our mental process by setting up boundaries in our minds based on God's word. Learning to control our mental process helps us with knowing where to put our emotions. Look with me again at verse 13. After Peter says, gird the loins of your mind, he says, be sober. Be sober. Now, when we think about the word sober, we think about sobriety, and we typically think about someone who's trying to exercise self-control to remove something that's hindering their life. In the same way, Peter is talking about self-control in the life of the believer. Not just physically, but emotionally as well. Peter is talking about this because if our emotions aren't kept in check, we won't be able to think clearly. We won't be able to think clearly. Practicing self-control, even in our emotions keeps us from being led by them. Now, let me just say, (laughs) your emotions are a good thing. 
Your emotions are an indicator of what's going on inside of you. (laughs) Your emotions are a good thing. But they are a terrible guide. They are a terrible guide. Our emotions are good, but we are not meant to be led by our emotions. Why? Because they change. You could be all passionate about something like, man, I'm going to do this. And then tomorrow I'll be like, I don't really care anymore. That's what our emotions do. Our emotions change. Even though they're good, God has given them to us, but they are a terrible, terrible guide. This is why we are called to live by faith and not by sight, or in other words, how we feel. This is especially true when we go through a storm in life. Because if our emotions aren't kept in check, they can deceive us on what's true and what isn't true. There have been times in my own life where I have rejected good, sound advice because my emotions weren't in check. There have even been times in my life where I rejected the grace of God because it didn't line up with how I felt in that moment. This is a dangerous place to be. Because there are people who call themselves Christians, call themselves believers, who doubt their salvation and the love of God, not because God said, I don't love you, but it's because of how they feel at that moment. This is a dangerous place to be. And I've been, I've been in that place where, you know, you rededicate your life six, seven times because you just, I just want to make sure that uh, it's, it's good, it's real. I just want to make sure. Where you doubt that Was I sincere the first time? And there's nothing wrong with examining where you sincere. There's nothing wrong with that. But scripture says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again, guess what? You are saved. There's nothing else to it. There's nothing else to it. That's it. But if we don't keep our feelings in check, we'll doubt that. We'll doubt that. This is why it's good to be self-controlled in our emotions. So how do we do this? In Galatians 5, it tells us that that self-control, even in our emotions, comes from a spirit-filled life. It comes from the spirit of God. So not only does God help us with self-control, but he wants us to be led by faith first. So how do we do this? Being self-controlled in our emotions means measuring what we feel by God's word. Here's how you do this. And again, I'm I'm learning this process as well. But anytime you have a feeling that causes you to doubt what God's word says, that's when you need to change gears and go, okay, I'm going to walk by faith here. Anything that, that, that tries to get you to doubt what God's word has told you or your value, whatever it is, that's when you need to change gears and go, okay, I'm walking by faith here in what God's word says about me, about my purpose, about who I am versus how I feel in this moment. And you know what happens? When you walk by faith this way, eventually your feelings follow. Now, now, given, I will tell you, I said eventually. I didn't say like, in the next moment, five minutes, your feelings are going to be like, oh, we, get, we here, we good. No. <laughs> eventually. But it's, it's, it's a practice. It's, a, it's, an, it's an intentionality. to. Oh, I'm going to walk by faith here, not by how I feel. And trust God with how I feel in that moment. But being self-controlled in our emotions also means knowing what to do with negative emotions. 
First Peter 5, 7 says this. It says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, for me, I'm learning. I'm learning this. I'm learning that there are some emotions and thoughts that I am ill-equipped to carry on my own. There are some thoughts, there are some emotions that I am ill-equipped to carry on my own. And what I'm talking about are moments in our lives where you have an emotion where you're like, I don't know where this emotion came from. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And again, I'm not just talking about one sex, male or female or whatever it is. I'm talking about if you're a human being, guess what? You have feelings. And not all the time do you know where they come from or why they're there. And so when you experience a negative emotion, you're like, I don't know where this comes from. The best thing to do is to cast them on the shoulders of the one who can handle them. That's being Jesus. So anytime you have a feeling or anything like that, that's an emotion, that you're like, I don't know how this got here. I don't know what this is, but I know it's negative. I know it's not good. Trust the Lord with it. Cast it on his shoulders. Now, I believe this is why David could say this in, in Psalms 23, 4. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I believe the only reason David could even say these words is because he knew where to cast his fear. And in the same way, when we experience negative emotions, and we're like, man, I don't know what this is about. When we cast them on the shoulders of the Lord, when we cast them to the Lord, in other words, we trust him with that. That's how we have peace through it. Because sometimes we get in our heads and we go, okay, well, I got to investigate and I got to dig in this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point you got to go, okay, I got to trust the Lord with how I'm feeling right now. I don't know why I feel this way, but I got to trust him with how I'm feeling. That's the only way we have peace through even negative emotions. So to get through the storms of life, we need to be emotionally self-controlled and remember to cast every negative emotion on the shoulders of Jesus and trust him to carry us through. When we do this, it helps us with remembering his promises. Now look with me at verse 13 again. Because after Peter says, gird the loins of your mind, after he says, be sober, he says this. He says, and rest your hope fully, fully, not half-hearted, fully, upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why Peter is saying this, he has a specific purpose in saying this. Because we know that any time our boat in life gets rocked by, by a storm, sometimes we get to a place where we start thinking, is my faith in God like, should I be trusting Jesus? Should I, should I put my faith in Jesus? And sometimes we even think, you know what? I thought trusting Jesus was going to keep me from the storms of life. I thought trusting Jesus was going to remove all this stuff out of my life. And so Peter writes this to his readers and even to us to reassure them and us that trusting Jesus isn't a mistake, but we can fully trust him even though we're experiencing a storm. In other words, what he's saying is don't jump ship. Don't abandon your faith because times are hard. He's trustworthy. He will walk with you. He will get you through. That's what he's saying. 
He's saying, don't abandon your faith. But unfortunately, there are some believers out there who believe that, man, trusting in Jesus means that there should, shouldn't be any storms in life. There shouldn't be any hardship in life. But what's crazy to me is that sometimes following Jesus will make your life worse. You think it's going to be daisies and rainbows, and it just gets worse. But the honesty of this is that the presence of storms doesn't mean that God isn't with you, nor does it mean that he doesn't care about you. We see an example of this in Matthew chapter 8, when the disciples were in a storm of their own. And scripture tells us that after doing ministry, that Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and they, they were going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And on their way, a storm met them. And the winds and the waves were tossing and the boat was rocking and taking on water, different things like that. And the disciples were kind of freaking out. They were like, we're going to die here. And what's significant about this is that the, the disciples were fishermen. So they lived on the sea. So if a fisherman is afraid of dying in the midst of a storm, it must have been a pretty bad storm. So I'll give that to them. But what's interesting is that Jesus himself was asleep in the boat. And when the disciples saw that, they were like, they just assumed, you must not care, Jesus, because you're sleeping right now. There's winds and the waves coming on us. We're taking on water and you snoring. You obviously don't care. You obviously don't see what's happening, Jesus. Don't you see the storm that I'm going through, that we're facing? What's amazing about this text is that Jesus gets up. The disciples wake him up. Jesus, get up. We about to die, homie. Like, Jesus gets up, calms the winds and the waves, calms the storm. But what I want us to focus on is what he says to his disciples afterward. He says, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Now, to us, this might seem like a rebuke. You know, we might think, well, Jesus kind of cut them some slack, man. They were scared. (laughs) But the reason why Jesus said this is because this isn't the first time that Jesus has been out with his disciples. This isn't the first time that they've met. In fact, they had already been doing ministry with Jesus for a long time. Jesus had already, before this storm, shown them his authority over creation itself, over demons. They saw him do miracles. They saw him heal people. They saw him do all kinds of things and confirm that he is God. They saw his power already. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you've already seen me do all those things, and the moment we get into a storm, you forget? You forget that I have control over everything? And now, you're, now you're, you're freaking out, you're losing your composure because you forgot what I've already done? You see, this is the thing. If we're going to make it through the storms of life, we can't forget the storms God has already brought us through. We can't forget that. We can't lose our composure and our cool and we see a storm coming our way and go, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. How did God get you through the last one? Sometimes I feel like we need to just have kind of like a <laughs> kind of like a daredevil mentality where we look at the storms coming our way and go, you know what? I wonder how God's going to get me through this. <laughs> where we kind of get a little ignorant, you know what I'm saying? Like where we kind of look at a storm and go, oh man, God's going to show me his power through this. 
I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not saying this because I've learned it and this is how I respond to every storm. Not the case. It's still learning. Um, but I wish I responded more like that. Where I saw storms and, and, and issues that, I, that, that were unresolved and, and hardship and trouble. And, and I wish I looked at them and went, I can't wait to see how God moves through this. You want to be encouraged in your storm? Start looking at it through that perspective. Looking at it through the God who's bigger than your storm. The God who can do something about what you're wrestling through. Don't forget what he's already brought you through. Psalm 7711 says, I will remember the works of old. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. But then Peter goes on and he says this. If we look back at verse 13, he says, he says that the revelation of Jesus Christ to be brought to you. He says the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's basically saying, what he's doing here is he's giving his readers a guarantee that God has not forgotten them, but he's coming back for them. He's saying this is going to be brought to you. In other words, Christ is coming to you and bringing his grace with him. And that will happen at his second coming. So he's saying, encourage yourselves with this. Christ has not forgotten you. He's coming back for you. But if we're honest, and if we take an honest look at this, the letter of Peter here, this book was written in 64 A.D., It's 2021 today. Peter was telling his readers to have an expectant expectation of Christ's return. Peter's basically saying Christ is going to return at any moment. Be ready. Be ready. But this is 64 AD. It's 2021 now. That's a long time between when this letter was written and today. So how can we logically live with excitement for Christ's return if the church has been waiting so long for it? If you've ever asked these questions, it's okay. You're in good company because the disciples asked the same thing. <laughs> they asked Jesus, man, Jesus, when you, when you going to come back? You're telling us about the second coming. When are you going to get here? And Jesus responded this way to his disciples. In Mark 13, 32 through 33, he said, but of that day and hour, nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. Jesus basically saying, not even I, (laughs) but only the father. But then he says, take heed, watch and pray for you. Do not know when that time is. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're not going to know when I'm going to come back. But the important thing is that you're ready when I do. You don't want to miss it. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, you're not going to know when I'm going to come back. But I love this because in verse 33, he says, take heed, watch and pray. But how can we be confident in the words of Jesus here? If we're supposed to expect him to come back at any moment, how can we be confident that he was telling the truth about this? Well, scripture tells us that Jesus didn't say anything that God didn't tell him to say. Number one. Number two, Jesus didn't sin. And if we know lying is sin, Jesus did not sin. So we can trust that the words that he's saying here to his disciples is real and that if he said it, 
He gonna crack that sky come one day and come back for us. We can be confident in that. But you know what? The timing of Christ's return is not even important. Being ready is. That's the whole purpose of what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you don't know, I don't know, it's not important. What's important is that you are ready when he does. That's it. You're ready when he does. This is something that the disciples caught. They understood this. And Jesus trained his disciples to think this way, to see life this way, through the lens of Christ's return. And I believe it's because of that that the disciples were actually able, as the book of Acts says, to turn the world upside down for the gospel. Because how weird would it be with Jesus after he died on the cross, rose again, ascended to heaven, and then the disciples were kind of like, I guess we can kind of hang out for a while. Let's just kind of relax and see what happens. No, they got to work. They did what God wanted them to do. Every day they spent discipling, sharing the gospel, being intentional about what they were living their lives for. And that's how they turned the world upside down. Twelve dudes did this. Uneducated dudes did this. There's so many more of us. What could we do if we lived in light of Christ's return every single day? You may not be serving in church, but guess what? Your job is your mission field. Your gym is your mission field. Your home is your mission field. Wherever God has you is where he wants you to live in light of Christ's return. That means being intentional with people, loving people, seeking opportunities to disciple, hearing people out, loving them as Christ loved you. When we live that way, transformation happens. But another reason why we need to live this way is because when we're expectant of Christ's return, it stokes a passion in us. It keeps our passion for the Lord burning. In fact, I would say this, a believer who's not passionate about the Lord has stopped being expectant of his soon return. I'm not saying that they're not believers, but they're not expecting Jesus to return soon. It's only as we are expectant of his soon, imminent, scripture talks about, imminent, right now, could happen any moment, the next moment, in the next second, next minute, imminent return. We live in light of that. And when we do, our passion for the Lord burns. Lord, I want to serve you. Why? Because you're coming back. Lord, I want to live for you. Why? Because you're coming back. Because here's the thing. And I, I guess I just speak for, my, you know, for, my own, my, for myself. I don't want to stand before the Lord and not be ready or not have accomplished what he called me to do. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation or that or anything like that, but I, I just imagine the regret that I would feel. I'm just being honest. This is, just, this is me sharing just stuff in me. I don't want to experience the regret of standing before God and going, I should have did so much more. I, I, I didn't do what you called me to do. I don't, I don't want to do that. So to be passionate here and live 
passionately for the Lord here, it means living every day in light of his soon and imminent return. So to get through the storms of life, we need to remember his promises, what he's done, what he's going to do, and the fact that he's coming back very soon. In conclusion, I know I talked a lot about God being with us even in the midst of a storm and how we can prepare, be prepared to experience peace in the midst of them. But I want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge those who feel like this hasn't been their experience in their walk with the Lord. Those who feel like they've been in a storm for a very, very long time and may even feel like God has abandoned them. I want you to know that me standing up here and talking to you this morning is not because I have mastered these things. I want you to know that even when I go through storms in my own life, there are times when I struggle with believing that God is with me. Even when the things that I face. But the only reason I'm a Christian today in the midst of the things that I faced in my own life is because God never stopped pursuing me. In the midst of my anger towards him, in the midst of my bitterness towards him, in the midst of days where I wanted him to leave me alone, he never stopped pursuing my heart. That, that's the only reason. I'm not up here to say, well, because God made it all work out. No, 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 no. The only reason I can call myself a Jesus follower is because Christ never stopped following me. That he was never offended by me and the things I said about him, things I said to his, tried to say to his face. My attitude, my rebellion, my sin. He never said, Nathan, I'm done. But he was always the one to pursue. So I want to encourage you, if, that's your, if you feel that way today, I want to encourage you, God is not abandoning you. But he's closer to you than you know. So I want to encourage you, keep trusting him. Keep moving towards him. And even in your worst day, he will never stop abandoning you. He will never stop pursuing you. So as the old saying goes, you're either going through a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of one. The only way that we can find peace in the midst of them is by being prepared for the storm, by controlling our mental process, knowing where to put our emotions, and remembering his promises. Let's pray. God, we come before you because you are the great pursuer of our hearts. Even when we don't want anything to do with you, God, you pursue us <laughs> regardless. In our sin, in areas where we've messed up, you never stop pursuing so I want to I give us an opportunity. Maybe you're sitting here in-house or maybe you're watching online and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity to know the one who's pursuing your heart right now. Not to make you religious, but so that you would know the God who cares more about you than you realize. So if you want to know Jesus this morning, if you're in-house with us, all I want you to do is raise your hand. If you're watching online, there's a button at the bottom of your screen you can click that'll let us know that you want to know him as well. And I'll pray a quick prayer with you. 
so that you can enter into your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. Now, check out Pastor Al's latest book. As we roll into 2021, it's good for you to review your finances. But what about your spiritual investments? Pastor Al Pittman's book about Revelation puts a bright light on a wise plan. There's a lot of people doing works in the name of the Lord, but there's to glorify themselves and not God. And our works will be tried by fire to see if they're of gold and precious metals or if they're of wood, hay, and stubble. God knows the real motivation of your heart. Revelation, Earth's final chapter, is a book that will take you through the amazing final words of the Bible. Remember, you can still adjust how your life ends. And he invites everyone to his wedding feast. The question is, and mankind would have to answer every one of us here today, have we accepted his invitation? Get your copy of Revelation, Earth's final chapter, by Al Pittman, where you buy books, or online at cwccs.org. Oh, this is what we've been waiting for, this glorious day, return of Jesus Christ to the earth. If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.